and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. So our guest today on the Path 11 podcast was actually recommended by Dr. Raymond Moody and Lisa Smart. So for those of you maybe who haven't listened to that podcast yet, you might want to go back into the archives. But they said that there was a wonderful woman that they thought would be an amazing guest on our show. And her name is Trisha Barker. And Trisha experienced a profound near-death experience during her senior year of college. And this experience guided her to teach overseas in public schools and at the college level. Her near-death experience story has been featured in media outlets, including the biography channels I Survived, Beyond and Back, National Geographic Magazine, Woman's World Magazine, Simple Grace Magazine, and The Dr. Oz Show. And Trisha is also a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin. And the book that she read that I had the privilege of reading is called Angels in the OR. So Trisha, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so it was really, uh, really nice to have uh, Lisa and, and Dr. Moody to refer you because, you know, after I read your book, I just thought, oh my gosh, yes, I can't wait to speak to Trisha. Um, so <laughs> can you tell me just a little bit about how you guys all connected first before we get into your story? Sure, I'd love to. So last year, I created the first annual online near-death experience summit. I'm a professor, and I love uh, teaching both face-to-face classes, but online classes. And online classes are great for people who can't travel. And so I thought, you know what? There's all these great conventions, and not everybody can afford to travel to go to an IANS conference or to go hear a bunch of speakers. Why don't I create a platform with these speakers and just do this online? And so I did it, and Lisa listened to it last year. And then Lisa and Raymond decided to partner with me this year. And we had such a fabulous group of near-death experiencers and researchers. I mean, we had Paul Perry and... Um, Dr. Evan Alexander and uh, Lisa Smart and Raymond Moody talked, of course, but there was so many people that I had the pleasure of interviewing and interviewing is something that I've found in the last couple of years that I just love. I love talking to fellow experiencers. So that's still available on the University of Heaven site, even though the live day is over, people can still buy um, the package and, and see all those interviews and then see the day that they answered questions from the audience. Cause I find that the audience questions are really the fun part. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, um, for just sharing that with people. And let's talk about, um, the book that you wrote, which was inspired by your near death experience. And, um, I just want to thank you so much for your bravery and all that you shared throughout this book. And we'll get to more of those, um, those parts too. But, you know, I just want to really thank you for uh, bringing a voice to survivors too of sexual assault, as I know that that was too a part of your story. Um, And for just kind of breaking the silence on that. I've done a lot of work with survivors. I'm a survivor myself. And um, I think that that is always really important when people can find that courage to come out and uh, speak about it and remove some of that shame and uh, the secrecy behind that. 
and breaking the silence. So I did want to make mention of that. And, you know, I thought after I read your book, gosh, you know, this woman, not only is she going to touch the lives of, you know, so many people that uh, can share in her experience of the new death experience. The, the near-death experience, but I know that you are probably also going to touch many of the lives of survivors out there of uh, sexual assault. Yeah, and I do want to say that, you know, I, I prayed about this and I thought about it, and I finally decided that part of my mission is to donate money from this book to the Rape Crisis Center and to help them start an online system, kind of like through Zoom, where survivors can connect with people when they're afraid to leave their homes, but they still need counseling and that kind of thing that in our city, they don't have that available. And it was just kind of beautiful to realize like, oh, you know, my skills can actually help survivors. And so that was, um, yeah, that's something new that's just occurred. But thank you for saying that. And it, it was a weighty part of the book to get through and I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And, um, on page 17, I I kind of wanted to start off a little bit with, I felt the most, the most impactful two sentences of your book. I wanted to just share that with you because I just have it highlighted and underlined. It's on page 17. And I think that this really also captures uh, the essence of, I think, what you're trying to spread throughout the world. But the two sentences that really caught me uh, from your experience uh, is written again on page 17. And it says, this loving light showed me that everyone needs to spend more time in nature to heal and become whole, more loving and joyful. I saw that most people disconnect from their souls and focus on survival instead of enjoyment and play. And I, I have read that over and over and over again. I just said, my gosh, there's so much truth and depth, especially, you know, of that point where most people disconnect from their souls and focus on survival instead of enjoyment and play. So that was, those were the most two beautiful sentences I read in that book that I just love and touched my soul. But I think you really captured the essence of those two sentences throughout the whole book and how important love is, joy, play, finding the child within, being more childlike. Um, So I am ready for you to tell our listeners your story. Well, thank you for reading those two sentences. And I think today, more than ever, it is important to remind people to do that because there's depression is going up in teenagers. And I think a lot of that has to do with being online all the time and not being in, quote, the real world, not being in nature very often. There's so many kids who are addicted to video games and they they live their life in this kind of non-reality when nature is right there waiting to bring so much healing. And in times in my life where I was hurt and I didn't go to nature, then I think I became more self-absorbed. But in times in my life when I just like hiked a mountain or went to the river and said, God help me, I really felt these painful moments taken out of my being as if God was saying, you know what, I'll help you here. And I think more people really do need that reminder that, hey, what you're going through, it can be healed and changed and transformed if you make that effort to go to the spiritual source and go to nature as this great metaphor, because nature does teach us how to be natural and heal. (laughs) And I think healing is our natural state. 
Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you um, begin to take us back to that time when you were in college and got into this car accident, which led to uh, your near death and your full body recovery and then um, your teaching and then what you're doing now? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I always tell people who have heard my story to go ahead and connect with the energy. And if you haven't heard it, then these stories are, I think, magical glimpses into this realm where we do not die. And that was what I I was agnostic and I was a college student and I deeply feared death. And I thought, yeah, it would set at different stoplights and sometimes it would hit me someday I'm going to die. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be nothing after I die. I'm just going to go into the earth and that will be it. Well, I had a head on collision on my way to run the Austin 10 K and I was a senior in college never considered that this moment would happen, that my life would change so much. But immediately I knew that control was taken out of my hands because the accident was so bad. I was slumped over to one side of my car and I couldn't reach my glove box. And then I realized, oh dear, that my neck or back or something is is broken because I was just uh, unable to move. And with that realization, uh, I just kind of gave myself over to that moment. And I waited a long while in the hospital. I had several internal injuries. I found out after an MRI and CAT scan that my back had been broken in three places. My ankle was broken. The seatbelts had caused uh, deep internal injuries. And when my arms hit the steering wheel, they were very bruised. They weren't broken, but um, I was just in bad shape. And it... I waited a long while. I didn't have health insurance. And so I overheard some nurses talking and one of the surgeons chose not to come in and operate on me. And people get very mad about this part of my story. And it happens all the time. There wouldn't be medical malpractice lawyers if, if these things didn't happen. You know, so yeah, there was someone who refused to operate on me and I overheard this. But then there was another surgeon on duty who'd been off duty or who'd been on duty for 40 hours and she was off duty at that moment. And she came in, looked at my chart and did her best to take a nap and get ready for my long surgery. And so I waited 17 hours, then I was wheeled in into surgery. And I remember looking at the form thinking, huh, it said a 17% chance of death. And I kind of laughed to myself thinking that's really specific. You know, like, <laughs> how do they know 17? You know, that's, that's odd. But I thought, yeah, I'm 22. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm going to make it. And they assured me, you know, they, that back surgery was something they did a lot. And I had never known anybody who'd had back surgery. And, but that was my predicament. So I went in and the next thing I knew as I lifted up out of my body. And I have to tell you, I was excited the very moment that my spirit form left my physical body. And I saw the physical body on the table. It was very bloody that I guess that they'd been at work for some time. And I was flipped over on my stomach and the incision line was long and the blood was spilling out. And they had opened up my hip too, because they were taking bone out of the hip. And I didn't know beforehand that that's what they were going to do, but I was observing that. And I just thought, wow, this looks like some kind of battle scene. This is far more gruesome than I imagined surgery would be. And then I was just happy because I knew my consciousness. I knew immediately that this was not a hallucination. This was not a dream. This was my spirit form. And I know that, you know, people argue all the time that this is the brain shutting down, but 
I've had hallucinations, I've had dreams, and then I was in this realm, which was a consciousness beyond anything I had experienced in the body, and I was kind of connected to the people in the room. I understood that they were working hard on me. And then there was an added reality, which were the angels. And I called the book that I wrote, the memoir, Angels in the OR, because really that was the first scene that put me solidly in another realm. Uh, When I saw them, I was interacting with a higher intelligence, an intelligence that stunned me, really, to be honest. And people always ask what angels look like and Perhaps each person's angels are different, but these were very large, eight or nine feet, androgynous, and they calmed my spirit form. So immediately I was not nervous at all about the fact that I was out of body. I just knew that they were there for me and they were there for my physical body and my spirit body. And as I looked at them, they sent, they communicated with telepathy. And so that telepathic communication is is just a bunch of words and thoughts and feelings sent all at once. And, you know, you don't hear accents, you don't necessarily, you hear it in your language, of course, but it, it isn't, it isn't like normal communication. And I think these little moments are so difficult to describe because it's not something that we experience in life. I mean, we've probably all looked into the eyes of someone and felt love. And that's the closest that we can have perhaps to telepathy is that sending of energy and that sending of love, but they send it at such profound rates and such, uh, so much information was given to me all at once. I knew I wasn't going to be able to decipher it all in that moment. It was as if it was stored inside of me for later, but I was amazed at their intelligence. Then they did something that really blew my mind. They said, watch this. And they sent this light through the back of the doctors, through their hands and into my body and my physical body lit up with this amazing light and intelligence and healing. And I knew that they were working through the surgeons to help me and that this was energetic healing. No, I'd never heard of Reiki. I'd never heard of any of these things before. (laughs) This was, you know, a weird concept to me, but I thought, but I was excited by it. And I thought, hmm, these doctors may or may not know that they're being worked through for my benefit. And I thought, wow, I can't wait to ask them if they realize that this power is is on the other side working through them. And, you know, everybody who's been in a moment, say, whether it's writing a book or riding a bicycle or painting or singing, a lot of people have felt a transcendent moment where they feel, and you know, writers call it a muse and, and different people call it different things when they have those transcendent moments. But it made me think, what if angels are working through us more frequently than we realize? What if, you know, even in conversations with a friend who's hurting, there's a higher realm that can work through us to help other people? What if heaven is trying to leak through in so many moments? And what if this whole experience is so much more beautiful than we're aware of? And that was one of my thoughts in that moment was, this is beautiful. This is amazing. But then the next thing that happened is the monitor flatlined. And so I knew that it had been an out-of-body experience at that point. And then it was a death experience at that point. And so when the monitor flatlined, I was out of there because I thought, how in the world are they going to revive me? This is so, this will be so gross because I've lost so much blood. I really don't want to see this. And so I left the room and I had what 
many researchers love in a near-death experience, and that's veridical perception. I had a moment where later it was verified that this indeed happened, and I, I think it's important why it happened. I didn't know why at the time, but I saw my stepdad getting a candy bar in the hallway, and later my mom and dad said that he came back in, and at that moment, they had both fallen to their knees and were praying because they were certain I had died. So I do believe there is a spiritual, biological connection between parents and kids and you know family members, even a psychic connection that they aren't aware of. But my parents knew that I was dead in that moment and they were praying. And then my stepdad came back in, offered this candy bar, made a joke, and they all laughed and, and went on. And my actual death experience uh, was two and a half minutes, so it was very short. So perhaps just in that time where I, I'm experiencing things in, in wild realms, my parents are just interacting with my stepdad over this candy bar. But but I saw it. I knew what kind of candy bar it was. And I, I thought, oh, he's a health nut. That's strange that he's getting it. And um and then kind of moved on. And my spirit flew over Austin and I had the beginning of that oneness experience, which is so beautiful. And many people have probably felt great peace in their lives or deep connection to other people, almost as if our hearts are one with everyone in the world. And if we really sink into our hearts, I think we can experience more of that oneness because there's so much healing in love. And that's basically what I was beginning to feel was this greater connection with everyone and, and realizing that at everyone's heart, they just want a good life. They just want to live a happy, good life and be free of pain. And so I felt that in the people that I knew, the people that I passed on the street. And then I felt this beginning uh, consciousness of God coming toward me like it was a light, but far away. And this light of God was both intelligent and loving. And I had what many near-death experiencers have, which is a life review, flip through different elements of my life. The thing that, that really stood out was to not judge others. And I'm part of Generation X, uh, and we were kind of cliquish and kind of snobbish. And especially, you know, a town like Austin, there's all kind of great live music and documentaries. And, and people can, in college towns, can get snobby about what they know and what they like and, you know, their intellectualism. And I had fallen into that. I wasn't a mean person, but I just didn't, uh, I didn't have any interest in people who didn't have the same things that I was interested in, in their lives, whether it was fashion or music or, or books. And I saw into the hearts of beautiful people who were very different from me, uh, people who are not at university. They were maybe single parents, or they were a young couple with kids who were just religious and happened to work at the restaurant where I worked. And I saw how beautiful their hearts were. And I was humbled at the lack of beauty that I, ex I expressed in my life and how much love and beauty they expressed by praying for me and caring for me. And I thought, I want to be that type of person whose heart cares for other people. Like, why would I why would I live my life and judge other people instead of just wishing the best for everyone? And that was my deepest lesson. And I think I have taken that into my life, even the people who have harmed me. Uh, you know, in the future, I think I've always just wished the best for them, like be better, you know, live a better life, be happy. Um, don't harm other people. I think that moment just really changed all of my thinking that life review it was like, do no harm and do as much good as you possibly can. And that's one of the deep meanings of life. 
well, then I transitioned into this heavenly landscape and I loved this realm. It was so deeply peaceful. And I think there's something that we can take from these descriptions of heaven. Some people hear music. I just saw very bright colors. The grass was incredibly green and full of life and vibrancy. And I think that 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 heavenly realm, if we focus on the perfection of this world more often and we keep bringing that heavenly realm here, we can have a better earthly existence. And I think that was one of the messages I saw there. But I started getting different messages like love is all that matters. God's love was was this light that was coming towards me. And I heard be like a little child. Um remind them to go to nature. There were just certain messages that slowed down in that telepathic communication to really imprint themselves on my, my brain. And in this heavenly realm, it's, it's interesting. I think it was Dr. Jeffrey Long that I interviewed in the summit for from the university of heaven. And he said, near death experiencers, they never see anyone in their experiences who isn't dead. So the only person I knew who was dead was my grandfather and he was there for me and he was glowing. He was so beautiful. Like the grass was glowing and beautiful. He was glowing. His skin was just vibrant. His eyes were full of that light, like the angels. He communicated telepathically with me and we spent some time together. And then at some point in that time we spent together, he looked up at the light and the light was far away. And he said, do you want to continue on? And I knew that meant continue on and go closer to God. And I, yes, I mean, every part of me was like, yes, 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 yes. I want that. There was no greater, uh, attraction really than, than this idea of God. And so as I was flying toward that light of God, I felt people's prayers trying to pull me back. And I, I mentioned this part of my story because some people get down and they say, you know, I prayed for this person in surgery and they died. And you know, what happened to my prayer? If I had died and if I had not come back, I still would have felt those prayers and I still would have known their love and that love would have been a connection. So they're not lost. So I felt the energy of the prayer. I felt the person's thoughts and feelings. I felt it as an imprint of them, kind of like in the wind, you know, like, and it just, it connected with my spirit body in that way. And they, the prayers felt like they were trying to pull me back to my body, but I broke through them. And I thought, you know, no way I'm, I'm going towards this light. And as I got closer and closer to God, everything that had hurt me in life, and I was only 22, but I'd experienced quite a bit, um, a lot of emotional and physical abuse from my mom and uh, and bullying in school and really just not knowing love. I didn't know true love. I'd experienced little glimpses of romantic love, but it had ended painfully and I didn't know a love like this. And this love stunned me. I mean, it, it shook me to my core and I felt nothing but just an explosion of bliss and okay to be me. So many of us in this culture, especially women, but men too, do not feel like they're enough. They don't feel like they are, oh, that they can be loved exactly the way they are. You know, the way you pick up a puppy and you love it, you know, and it's just cute. Even if one ear is like flopped over to one side, it's perfect. God loved me like that. Like I was this little puppy that was perfect and there was nothing wrong with me. And that feeling was so relieving. Like, 
oh, thank you. Finally, someone just can hold me and cradle me and make me feel fine for the first time in my life. Um, you know, I could breathe deeply for the first time. I was all actually safe to love back. You know, I knew I wouldn't be manipulated or harmed that this love was perfect, perfect, perfect. And who would want to leave that perfection, especially if you've had a, a difficult life, but I've interviewed many near death experiencers and many of them who've had great lives don't want to come back. <laughs> you know, So, so if you've had a tough life, you're especially not going to want to come back. But but I just, I'd lost connection with my body at that point. Being in that realm of God, I just wanted to keep going. And then at some point I was stopped and this barrier, if anyone has ever done a past life regression or had an out-of-body experience or near-death experience, they might recognize this energetic barrier, but sometimes it comes closer. And in my case, it came somewhere in that realm of God and I just hit a barrier and I couldn't go any farther. And God said, look down. And I saw this river, which I knew to be an actual river, but also a river of life and many souls that were full of light and some that had shadows around them. And I knew that shadows meant fear and that I was going to be a teacher. I had to return and work with people who were in fear and remind them of their power and potential. And there is a part of me that's really stubborn and obviously, uh, probably lacking in humility because I argued with God in that moment. And, you know, who, who argues with God? But I said, oh, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Um, I can't be a teacher because I grew up poor. That's not a lucrative profession. And also, uh, you know, that's kind of a traditional career for women. And I came back as the soul to be non-traditional and break through barriers. And God kind of laughed at me like, yeah, you're going back to teach. And, <laughs> and, and if I, the only way I can describe it is being hurled, kicked, thrown back into my body. But, you know, God was done with my argument <laughs> and, I, and I was sucked back into my body. And, you know, not every near-death experiencer holds on to their experience, but I'd heard of these. I knew what happened to me. And as soon as I could talk, I was talking about this, even when my body was full of morphine and I've never, never thought it was a dream, always knew it was real and never doubted it. Awesome. And a couple things I'd like to say with that part of the story too. Um, another thing that really touched me was when you were describing how you felt those prayers. I think, I mean, you're the first person that I've actually ever heard somebody say that reading it in a book of really feeling the power of prayer. I think anyone who has prayed and there's been wonderful outcomes, miracles, whatever the case, a lot of people know that prayer does work, that there is truth to it, that, it, you know, it's a vibration. But I thought that that was so neat to hear that you could actually feel the energy and the resonance of what was being directed towards you. Yeah, it's comforting, isn't it? And then that, you know, if someone is dying, that they will get that moment where they feel your love for them, that it's, it's real and they get to carry it with them. Yeah. The other really interesting thing that was validation for me was the way that you described the angels working through the doctors. Um, so being an energy healer, I have always uh, seen angels working beside me. And then I found a teacher that uh, taught angelic Reiki and there was a whole, you know, transmission and attunement to be able to do that. And I remember her saying before she came to my studio, she goes, you're going to learn how to work with the angels in a totally different way. And she said, and she said too, you know, before I worked with the angels and 
got the attunement for angelic Reiki, she said the angels would always be by my side. But now when you go through this training, you are going to feel them kind of come in behind you and work through you. So cool. before she, yeah, before she came, I was like, okay, well, why don't I just set the intent? If I just intend to work with the angel this way, why do I have to go through this training? Um, but I, I couldn't feel it. I couldn't get them, even though I was like, okay, angels, come on, just come work through me, do what she said. Then I went through the training and, you know, we were provided these like 45 minute long and attunements for like a full weekend. It was really intense. And that is exactly what I feel now. And, um, so when I was reading that and picturing it, I'm like, yes, this is so true. I know what this actually feels like because Hmm. I have felt them work through me and, and understand, you know, that connection. And I too, Um, and with the angels that I have seen, they are that tall. So that also gave me validation as well. Because I remember during this Reiki training, I saw, uh, angel step in behind her and she grew. I mean, and this was like one of the largest angels I had seen. And it was exactly what you said, like eight to nine, maybe even 10 feet tall. And in a couple of other instances of, uh, visions that I have had and angels that I have worked with, uh, they're, they're not like these short little things. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, I love that so much. If you could see me, if this was a video, I'm like smiling from ear to ear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was just so cool, you know, for me to read. And I think, you know, sometimes that's the beauty of sharing these stories about the metaphysical and things that are seen, but that are unseen and kind of just feeling validated by other people that have these experiences with angels to say, oh my gosh, yes, that's how I perceive them too. Is this really true? Or why are they coming to people and why are they looking so big and so tall or so I don't know it was just wonderful for me to read that I love it and I love the fact that more and more people and I've heard of Reiki workers who are going to hospitals now and assisting during surgery so they'll stay you know in a waiting room or somewhere near where the person is being operated on and send more angels and send more healing light as that happens and I know people now who've read my book and have asked for angels to be there with their surgeons. And that is something people can ask for is, hey, you know, go ahead and work through my surgeons, go ahead and work through my practitioners. And and uh, whenever I've had, you know, any any type of healing or any type of work done, I, I always ask for the angels to work through that person and to work through me in the classroom. So it's, it's beautiful. It's just, I think it's so encouraging, like you said, that we're all validating one another in this and, and learning from one another. Yeah. And I think you also bring up such uh, an interesting point where we really <laughs> probably can't even grasp all that really is going on through us, you know, from, from that ethereal realm, from these guides, from these angels, from God, from the universe. I mean, I think you're right that there, that energy is, you know, probably working through us so much more than we actually know and realize. And, you know, people who are trying to be very, to live consciously. And like you said, hold on to love rather than judgment and, you know, try to do as much good as they can in the world, maybe a little more um, open, receptive, or can see it and feel it a little bit more. But I bet that there's just so much going on kind of behind the scenes that we don't even know is happening. Like you said, you could just be having a great talk with a friend. And how do we know that those words aren't being given to us from a higher realm? Because that realm knows for sure what that friend needs to hear and they will work through us to be able to deliver just the perfect thing at the right time. 
Exactly. And truth is calming and it hits the soul in a way that puts us at ease. So I always remind people to look for the energy of something that gives them great peace or inspiration or enthusiasm. That that energy is what I became very sensitive to after the near-death experience. So whether it was a church or spiritual group or what, whatever the case, if the energy was one of love and great peace and support for the community, then I was all on board. <laughs> like I could walk into a country church, a traditional Christian church, and if there was love and light and the angel's energy there, I was like, yeah, let's sing, <laughs> you know. Um, or or I could work and in, walk into a meditation group in California and be like, oh, it's here too. Let's let's meditate, you know. Right. So it's the energy is the key. Yeah. So let's move in maybe to like the second part of, of your story, which is, you know, kind of coming back, you get called to teach, you move into the teaching profession profession. And then you also have a moment too, where you're getting called to write this book and then, you know, move once again, I think, you know, into a different capacity of what you're doing now, which is still teaching. Um, but kind of talking about how this has transitioned to where it is today. Yeah, so it was a long, long um, transition, 25 years, and I still do work as a community college professor, but I've been in education for 25 years. But five years ago, I was so stunned when I got this message from God that said, your mission is done, you can do what you want. And my first thought was like, good, I can just go to an island and sit on a hammock and do nothing and you're just going to take care of me because I've been such a good servant. <laughs> and God was like, uh, no, <laughs> you're, you're going to have to apply the lessons that you've learned from teaching to help the world in any way that you want to use it. And so I was stunned. Many near-death experiencers don't come back with an exact mission and I was kind of happy. Like at first I balked at the idea of being a teacher, but the minute I got in the classroom, I knew the other side was working through me. I knew angels were working through me to help students and it was fun. It was just joyful. And I think my disconnection from the physical disarmed them at times. And, you know, cause I could see their judgments about me thinking, Oh, you know, this, this lady came from privilege or whatever, you know, just based on the way I look. And then I'd tell them about my life. I'd be compassionate to their situations and we just have a great year most of the time there were there was just magic in the classroom and so whether I was working with junior high students high school or or college kids I loved it and when I was kind of freed from that mission I didn't know what to do but I thought and this is going to sound really weird but I think you'll understand me I thought I'm going to write this book because someday I'm going to be dead and I can communicate with spirits in the beyond. And what if I'm dead? And I saw this young teenage boy who's really lost picking up my book and he's going to hear me on the other side and I'm going to help him in his life. So maybe he's going to be a medium <laughs> and I'm going to be his guide over there. <laughs> I, I just, I just kind of knew that, that, that the book, if it was just, if it stays in, you know, like half price books, you know, 50 years from now, someone picks it up. I know I'm going to be his guide. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do that. And and if the book, you know, these near-death experience stories, if they, if it touches someone, if it gives them more faith and more joy and more hope and healing, then great. And, you know, I did it with this kind of free-spirited, okay, let's just, let's just go. And I think it's a good lesson for all people because uh, stepping out with that kind of playfulness and joy is the first 
thing to do. But then you also face this world and you face a lot of criticism and rejection, (laughs) you know, and and, uh, I was rejected harshly by some publishers, to be honest, and some agents. They they were horrified that I combined uh, sexual assault and and the things that I, I wrote about in this book with a near-death experience. And I said, well, you know what? I didn't have a near-death experience as a privileged person who is middle-aged. I had it as a young woman in this culture, and I had a profound spiritual awakening, but I also still had to walk through this culture as a young woman. And that's worth writing about. I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. how do you how do you combine the idea of this profoundly spiritual experience with the tougher elements of this culture? And then how do you bring healing to them? And that's the ultimate goal. So no matter what someone's been through, you know, like my situation is specific to me, but everybody has pain. You know, everybody has a broken relationship or a family member that's hurt them deeply or, you know, a wound that they're, that makes them, that brings them to their knees and they go, why am I here? You know, why have you done this to me, God? We've all felt abandoned by God at some point in our life. And what is the healing from that moment? And I think the other side in this near-death experience gave me tools to heal some pretty profound wounds that some people take to their grave. You know, there are plenty of people who never get over child abuse, never get over sexual assault. And I'm not saying I'm 100% over it. I'm just saying like, wow, there's been so much profound healing. You know, there's so much more freedom than I ever imagined possible. And all I want to do is put that idea out into the culture that healing is possible and it's possible at fast rates. And there's so many amazing modalities, spiritual activation, EMDR. There's so much that can be done to really speed healing within each individual. And so my, my larger mission is a second book to help college students know some of these modalities about healing and to maybe heal a little quicker that, you know, if they come to college with particular wounds that maybe they can work on them before they start families and really address uh, what's going on in their life and make transformative um, evolutionary leaps. (laughs) And that's, that's my goal for them or my hope. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think the other thing that's really relevant about you sharing, you know, part of the stories of your life after this near death experience is, you know, I don't know if people just assume that people that go through a near death experience are then just ultimately protected by life. You know, it's like, oh, okay, you've had this awakening and you've met God or, you know, you, you understand the purpose of life and then nothing bad is supposed to happen to you just because you've gone through a near death experience. It's like, no, you're still here having a human experience with more knowledge, but that doesn't mean that life just kind of stops interacting with you and and I think it makes it, I don't know, just more real that you still you still were going through things on your journey. Just because you had this near-death experience doesn't mean that the journey kind of stopped in giving you other challenges to move through. Right. And, you know, I've met many um, people in the military, and they don't talk about them too often, but they've had near-death experiences, and then they're thrown back into battle. They're still going to get shot at. <laughs> they're still going to have to pull the trigger. They're still going to have to be in the middle of war. And they've had a near-death experience. So a lot of people hide their near-death experiences when they're lost in lives that are, are are on the edge. And so, you know, rape is 
common for women 15 to 27. And so if you have a near-death experience, and honestly, most people have them when they're older, you know, because that's when your health is more compromised. So if you have a near-death experience and you're you know, higher middle class or upper middle class or older, you're not going to face the same life situations as a young person. You're just not. And that's just sociology and culture. And I think people, um, people really do get off into some damaging thoughts too, that, you know, they blame some people who are dying for not being quote, open to healing. And, um, we don't, we don't know, you know, what someone's going through and what their life path is and what their plan is. And I know plenty of near-death experiencers who have died too. So you know, it doesn't protect you from death or from right. harm, you know, like it, it doesn't protect you from everything. What, what it does is it makes you more aware. And I certainly, I could have learned more tools, you know, as I look back, I could have continued with manifestation. I could have, um, you know, there are certain paths I could have done that, um, I could have worked with my consciousness a lot more, but I mean, I'm not going to blame myself for being young and silly at times and just lost in this culture. I think that's still going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thanks for touching upon that. And, um, why don't we move into a little bit more about all of the things that you're doing now, present time. Um, maybe we can bring people over to your website. It looks like you do readings. Uh, you have a lot of videos and radio archives, uh, writing workshops, guided meditation. So let's talk to our listeners about that. So if they feel, um, compelled to work with you or come over to your website that they know what they're going to find. Yeah. So what I really want people to do, you, you know, on my website, you can find some of the information about the second annual near-death experience summit through the university of heaven. And I spent a lot of time with Lisa Smart and Raymond Moody creating that. And that's really the one, um, really sacred product that I'm quite proud of because a lot of people like the research element of near-death experiences, but they also like hearing these amazing stories. And we had two people on there, Tony Chikoria and David Ditchfield, who heard music in the afterlife. And they're really kind of phenomenal experiences. They came back with great gifts. I, I call it God showing off through them. You know, I had uh, the, the gift of gab, I suppose, you know, and the gift of teaching. But they got um, musical gifts and that they didn't have before after their experiences. And it's just, it's phenomenal to hear these stories and experience that light. But, but yeah, if you go to the university of heaven.com, you can see that. And if you go to my website, I, I do work with a few people. I don't, I'm kind of selective and I don't, I don't give a ton of readings, but, um, I like to help people who have lost someone and definitely, you know, want to connect in that way with someone that they've lost and they feel, um, you know, it, it's part grief counseling, but it's also part mediumship and those verifiable details that mediumship can give, uh, offers a lot of comfort to people. But in the fall, uh, since I'm going to be writing a new book, I love working with other writers and I'm, uh, I have these small groups, these small writing groups, and we have a secret Facebook group that we uh, connect with. And I, I just like connecting other writers because I know on the process, you need as many readers as you possibly can. <laughs> and if I can be a connector of people and, and give tips along the way, then I'm happy to do that. 
Awesome. Well, Trisha, thank you so much for being a guest on the Path Love and Podcast. I enjoyed your energy, your writing, your book, your story, all of it. And uh, I just wish you a lot of luck here in the future. And I hope everyone heads on over uh, to your website and also the universityofheaven.com. There's some great stuff there. Uh, they have 13 pre-recorded interviews, three hours of recorded Q&A. So definitely check that out. And I uh, would love to have you back on when you are done with your other books. So, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, so just reach out to us and let us know. And uh, we'd love to hear more from you. Awesome. Well, thank you. You're a wonderful host. And I love the questions. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out of body experiences and life changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today.